right. If you have your Bibles, grab those. We'll be in Acts chapter 6. Um, so what we're doing as a church is we're just walking through the book of Acts. We're seeing how this whole thing began, how this whole thing started and what God has done from the very beginning uh, with his covenant people with, with the church. And so uh, we will be in, like I said, Acts 6. But to kind of catch us up from last week, uh, we see the apostles being arrested um, and thrown in prison uh, because they were frustrating the powers at be at that time, uh, the religious powers at that time. And um, so frustrating them by teaching Jesus and living out Jesus and doing uh, this whole Jesus thing. And so it frustrates them. And so they're put in jail in prison only to be busted out by the angel of the Lord. Um, and so uh, after that, they uh, go to get them. They can't find them. They finally see them over at the temple teaching and doing their thing, telling people about Jesus again, only to get them and bring them back before the council at this time. And as they do that, uh, they charge them not to share Jesus. And they give the response, which they've been giving uh, from the very first time that they are taken captive or held prisoner. And so uh, they say, with all respect, you do what you see fit in the eyes of God, but for us, we're going to do what God has called and told us to do. Um, and so what that does is uh, merit them a, a good old flogging. Um, and so I love, I love, I love what they say in chapter 5, verse 41, when it says this. It says, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. I mean, they counted it a joy, the fact that they were worthy to suffer for Jesus. And so it just blows my mind that they counted an honor, the fact that they were taken and that they were physically beaten for their faith. Just counted a joy and honor that their relationship with Jesus meant so much that they rejoiced in that fact. The fact that, that they're counted worthy of that honor. And so I just, I, I love that. And so my prayer last week for us was that God would help us get our mind and our heart to that place where the most important thing for us was to share Jesus regardless of the persecution that we faced, regardless of the struggle or difficulty in uh, sharing Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you this morning if you'd join me as we pray and then we'll jump into Acts chapter six here in a moment. God, love you. Lord, again, thank you for your presence. God, I, f I just feel you heavy in this place this morning. And so, God, I just want to pray for a moment and ask you to have your way here. God, we want to give you freedom to do and act as you see fit. God, we pray that you would move. God, we pray that you would just continue to make your presence known. God, that you would do a work in this place. God, that you would change hearts. God, that you would shape and mold us into the image of your glorious son. So, God, as we look at your word, we pray, God, that it would penetrate our heart. And God, that your Holy Spirit would, would do a work in us. God, whereby you would stir up in us maybe sin that we're unaware of or maybe sin that we're walking in. And God, that you would bring us to a place of where we see that and we repent. God, that you would encourage us this morning. God, that you would just do a work in this place. That's what we pray for. God, thank you for the story of your church. Thank you for allowing us to be able to see how you started this. And God, what you've done over time. And God, the thing is how it stood the test of time. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. Thank you for all you've done for us. God, may you receive honor and glory in this place this morning. And we pray. Amen. So as the church grows numerically here in the book of Acts, so will the need, right? It only makes sense. As you get more people, you get more need. You get more stuff that comes with those people. And so what the church is known for is the way that they care, the way that they love, the way that they take care of one another. Um, all of those things, it also tells us early on in the book of Acts that they are devoted to some things. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to breaking bread. They're devoted to a number of things. And so you see them 
doing life together, having all things in common. So with growth, as I said earlier, comes problems, right? It only makes sense. And so they're good problems. They're good problems. They're, they're the kind of problems that we want to have in this place. We pray for growth. We desire growth numerically as well as spiritually. And so, uh, but with that, as growth comes, so do the problems because there's more lives involved. There's more stuff that goes with that. There's more uh, hands that do things. There's, there's just a ton of stuff that comes with growth. But nonetheless, with growth brings problems, good problems. I would say there's still problems. And I know a man that once told me, that a problem, whether good or whatever, a problem is still something that needs to be fixed or it needs to be resolved or it needs to be figured out. Thank you, Bill Harris, for your encouragement with that. Um, and so, but, but he's totally right. And so as growth comes, and it may seem to be a problem, as you go from uh, this, this little gathering of 12 to 50 to 100, now they're up to what the scriptures tell us or what we've seen, over 20,000 strong as a church you're going to have issues, you're going to have problems because there's going to be more people involved. And so this morning what we're going to do is look here in Acts and we're going to see the church start to feel the pains that come with growing, the pains that come with thriving. So let's just jump in and see where God takes us this morning. Acts 6 verse 1, it says this. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. So one of the purposes of Luke here, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, one of his purposes of writing the book of Acts is to tell the story of the remarkable growth of the church, how things happened, how the church grew, how, what God did in the church. And he also continues on to show us that in years later how that continues to play out, what God's role was in it, what, how the, the spirit being empowering in the people, what that has to do. So we see those kinds of things. And we can pick up on this quick in the book of Acts if you just read and you just see how frequently he highlights the growth in the church. Like in Acts 2.41 where he says, so those who received the word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You see there at Pentecost, God's saving 3,000 people. Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So God adds to the church day by day this number of people that join in in covenant with God to walk with and be a part of his people. Acts 4, 4 tells us many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So we see recorded there just the men, 5,000 men come to know Christ. And it's hard to tell how many women that follow along with that. Acts five fourteen tells us more than ever uh, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. I don't know how many a multitude is, but I would imagine that that's a pretty significant number, especially now early into the church. We're up over 20,000 people. And so I believe that Luke tells us these things because they're good for us to know. They're encouraging for us to know and to see. He's just pointing to the triumphs of the gospel in the past because this would be good for us to know in the here and now. Uh, look, it works. This is what the gospel does. This is the role of the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. We need to read this and grab a hold of this. Let this sink in and change us and shape us as the covenant people of God. Also brings us back to the reality of the simplicity of things. And if we just share and tell people about Jesus, he's the one that adds to the multitude. God's the one that does the saving. And I'm a firm believer that we don't even have to be good at it. We don't even have to have all the answers. We don't have to have all of that stuff figured out. All we have to do is share Jesus and tell people about Jesus, and he'll do the rest. I believe it's the work of the Holy Spirit that draws, that woos, and God saves. It's not us that saves, and that's what we see happening here. They're just out telling people the truth about themselves. They're just out telling people the truth about who Jesus is and who God is, and, and the Holy Spirit's just doing an amazing work in the people's lives. And so we see that take place. 
We see the effect of the power of the Holy Spirit, which was referred to over in Acts 1.8. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness. We see that lived out. We see that happening in this very time here in the book of Acts. And so I just believe this is us. I believe this is a beautiful picture of us and what we should be doing and what we should be about. And the reality is, is, is we've seen this happen even in the life of our church. Even in the life of our church. We've, we've had a steady growth since we were planted in 2006. Since God put on the heart of, of the founding pastor here, Bill Harris, to plant this church from that Sunday that he started this work for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel, we've seen growth take place. That, that first Sunday as they met, a little over 60 and today where we average just, just right at or a little over 250. So we've seen that happen. We've seen the gospel go out. We've seen lives change. We've seen God doing a work over these 12 years that we see here in the book of Acts. We see that. And so we're praying for the same thing to continue to happen. For spiritual growth. We want people to grow mature in their walk. For numerical growth. We want more people to come in. We want to reach the world with the gospel. So the question arises, where does our growth come from? Where should our growth come from? A few years ago, I read an article where it said, in the state of South Carolina, 70% of the people in South Carolina are lost. 70%. Seven out of 10 people in our state do not know Jesus Christ as Lord. They may know of him. They may know a few Bible verses. They may even have faith. But they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ whereby they confess sin, whereby they put their faith and trust in his redemptive work on the cross, whereby it has brought about a change in their heart, where there's obedience, where there's repentance, all of those things that take place and show evidence of someone belonging to Christ. 70%, 70% of the people in our community do not know Jesus Christ as Lord. 70% of the people that you go to work with day in and day out do not know Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, students, 70% on your campus do not have a relationship with Christ. 70% of the people that you're going to eat lunch with today that you don't even know don't know Jesus Christ as Lord. 70% of the people that, that you go home and you lay your head down in your bed, in your house, in your subdivision, in your community, in wherever you are, wherever God has placed you and put you to live and be, Seven out of 10 of those people don't know Jesus Christ as Lord. So I guess the question is, where's this growth gonna come from? How can, how can we be like the church? Man, it's ripe for the picking, is it not? The field is widened to harvest is what the scripture teaches. I mean, there is a plethora and a number of people that we can go after to do what the early church is doing and just share the gospel. I mean, think about it for a moment. Look at where we live. Look at where God has planted us. Look at where God has allowed us to be, 350 Old Furnace Road. I don't know if you're aware, but there's a subdivision right over here. I don't know if you're aware, but there's another community subdivision right here. And I don't know if you've ever driven out behind the church. There's not a road, so don't try. You have to go out and around. And there, there's just gobs of people. Gobs is more than a multitude. There's gobs of people. That's just my translation. They're, it's crazy. I mean, is there not just a new subdivision or a new housing development or a new house popping up everywhere? And statistics would tell us, chances are, those people don't know Jesus Christ as Lord. They don't know him as Savior. And so the early church, they were devoted to reaching the lost world. In church, I believe that needs to be our heart. I believe that needs to be the very thing that we take from this, that we look at this, and we go after. We should be striving to do the same. 
So that's one of Luke's purposes, is to show the growth in the church. Another purpose that he has for writing the book of Acts is to show how various threats to the church and obstacles to growth were overcome. Uh, Look at what happens next here in the story as as the church continues to go. Uh, Chapter one, uh, or chapter, I'm sorry, chapter six, verse one, it says, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. There were a group of people in the church that was being neglected, being overlooked. And so, so far we see Satan attack and he attacks through persecution. But what happens in persecution? The church just continues to blow up and keep going. It's like you persecute them and you try to get them to shut up. And what happens? They just blow up even more. More people wants to be a part of the persecution. I mean, there's something about those people. I mean, you can't shut them up, you can't threaten them, you can't even flog them and they're going to continue to share Jesus. So there's a missed persecution and it causes the church to just grow faster. So then what does Satan do? He introduces sin. And we see that in the story a couple weeks ago of, of Ananias and Sapphira. What happens? Sin enters the camp. They lie about their property. They've just witnessed everything taking place as the church sells and distributes as there's need arises. They've laid the money at the apostles' feet and there's just celebration. And what happens? They see that. They allow something dark to grow in their heart, whereby in the story it tells us that they take and they lay their money at the feet of the apostles. And somewhere along the lines, what has happened is they've lied to the Holy Spirit about what they were going to do with the money. See, the thing was, the money was theirs when, the land, when it was their land. It was still their land. The money was theirs even after they sold it. But somewhere along the way, they, in their heart, make a decision to lie to the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't take likely to sin. God doesn't overlook sin. God doesn't wax over sin. God is very serious about sin. So sin is introduced into the body. Satan introduces it and uses that situation only to have God step in and judge these two. And he takes their life. And so with these attacks on the church, as they come upon the church, the church was unscaled. And even more effective in spreading the gospel. Because what happens to that? They still continue to grow. They still continue to bust at the seams as God adds to the number. So Satan fails to stop the church through persecution, through corruption. So what does he do? He does what we see here this morning. He takes a a third tactic. And the third tactic is dissension. He's like, I'm going to cause some dissension. I'm going to stir up some stuff and cause a little dissension and division amongst them. Because what do we know? They were unified is what the scripture teaches us. And so hear me, a church that is racked by internal conflict finds its message lost and its focus to fulfill God's calling to reach the world gone. When there's dissension, when there's division, we, we, we can't be all heading in the place that we need to, right? That's what we see that's so beautiful about the church leading up to this point is that they're, they're unified. It says that they have all things in common. I, I mean, they're heading, they're, they're, they're under the same vision and banner of Jesus Christ going and doing what he would call them to do and it's reach the world. It's share the gospel. It's love one another with this reckless abandonment to be uh, just committed to loving and caring for one another in a way that just makes this world look silly, makes this world cause to question, all the while drawing the lost world to that reality. And so before before the church could reach the world, they would have to deal with this division. They'd have to do something with the issue, with this problem that has crept in. So there appears to be some cultural or ethnic tension here in the church in Jerusalem. And the conflict tells us here that it's between um, the Hellenists, which are the Greek-speaking Jews, and the Hebrews, or, uh, which are the Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Jews. And so the Hellenists, they would use the Septuagint instead of the Hebrew scriptures, and they were uh, loyal to Judaism, but they had absorbed some of the Greek culture in with them. And so this made them very susceptible to the Pharisees. The Hellenists were almost viewed as like second-class, second-rate type people. 
not as good, not worthy of. That would kind of be how they would be looked at. And so they would very much be considered a minority here in the story, here in the scripture as we look at this and as, as they're mentioned, a minority to the church, in the church, which could maybe explain why their, their needs were overlooked. But here in the scriptures as we see this, as, a, as this thought of Hellenists, they were spoken of in a collective way, it would lead us to believe that maybe the neglect was deliberate. Never happened before in the church, has it? Definitely not today. To, to deliberately look over a group of people to deliberately uh, just bypass a certain group of somebody. Uh, I mean, that would, that, would ne- that would never happen. We are so much past that, aren't we? Thank God for helping us work through that nonsense. That's not the truth, is it? That's not the case. We've got so much to learn from the early church here. We've got so much that we can draw and see. So it would lead us to believe that maybe the neglect was deliberate. So what happens, the, plan, the complaint gets to the 12 apostles. Look at as the story continues in verse 2. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples. So what they're doing is they're collecting everybody. They're going to figure out a solution to this problem. I love it. I love the fact that they don't, they don't wait. They don't sit around. They don't, let's just pray about it. No, no, let's get together and let's do something. We need to figure out what we need to do. Man, God is doing a work. God is doing something. We need to, to come up with a solution. We need to seek God. We need to figure out what needs to happen. And look at what they do. And it says this. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That doesn't seem like a very good solution. The problem is still there, right? And so, so they get there. And the, the 12, they say, well, we should not give up. Is preaching the word and, uh, of God to serve the tables. And it's not that serving and doing was bad. That's not the case. Not at all. And it was not that the apostles were not going to forsake their, they just were not going to forsake their calling of preaching and teaching and praying, studying. Or they weren't going to forsake what God has pressed upon them that they need to be about. And so the, the, the apostles here would not let anything, however pressing, however important, distract them from the calling that God had put on them for their duties, what he's pressing them to be doing in the church. And so what I would press you this morning is this, man, don't forsake the call of God on your life. Don't forsake that call, which stirs in me two thoughts real fast. Because as you read this, as you think about this, uh, you, you may want to start to rationalize and use this as a, a get-out-of-doing-anything card. No, that's not the case. No, that's not the case at all. Hear me, there's always going to be times where we're going to have to step up. And maybe we don't feel directly called to that ministry or called to that area or called to doing something. But, man, we're a body. We're a family. And what I've learned about family is whenever something's down, you step in and you help pick it up the best you can. Whenever there's a need that arises and there's no one else, see, that they've called everybody together. They're figuring out what to do. And we're going to see what happens later on the story. And whenever sometimes maybe that stuff starts to slip through, we step up. The church don't quit. And so this isn't a, oh, okay, well, that's just not my calling. Or, okay, I can, uh, well, they didn't do it, so I'm just going to slip out. That's not what this is. And then the second thing I would say to you is this. You may never know if you never pray and step out to be used by God. You may never know. And if we use that as excuse, oh, there's just nothing in the church for me to do, I just, I just don't believe that. I just don't see that because I believe with everything in me, God's got a call on everybody that sits their rear end in the seat in here to be doing something in his church, to be about him. One, we're all called to do something in the church and outside the church. And regardless of what you feel like your call is, every single one that takes the name of Jesus Christ this morning, your call is to make disciples. Every single one of us, whether you've been to school, whether you've not been to school, whether you're a fifth grader, whether you're an eighth grader, whether you're any greater in between that or after that, we're all in this place called to make disciples, 
called to invest our life with other people for the sole purpose of producing in them what God has produced in us, only to release them and to, to, to turn them out. And we're going to see that here in a few minutes take place. So we're all called to do that. We're all called to pray. We're all called to serve and give our life away. And I believe that happens in the church, and I believe that happens outside the church. And, and we're going to see how it's going to take place here in a moment in the church. And we've seen how it's taking place outside the church as they distribute the needs that are there, as they love on one another, as they're devoted to one another, as they care for one another. So we need to be about doing something in the church, outside the church, as the covenant people of God. We need to be serving and giving our life away. And that's how the church blew up, because they lived it out and they did it. So what did the apostles do? I'm happy you asked. It brings us back to verse 3. Well, God's word says this, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. See, these leaders were going to be men of, of good reputation. That's what that means. They need to have a, a good reputation. They must be men of integrity. They need to be above reproach, uh, re reproach all the things that are required of elders and deacons in First, First Timothy chapter 3. That's what they need to be looking for. So they need to be a servant. That's what they need to be. They need to be a servant. And they, they need to have that example of godliness in their life before the people before those that were going to follow them. They need to be qualified spiritually regardless of their position in the world. Same thing for us. Regardless of what position or rank you hold in this world, it needs to be one of, of godliness. That's how it should be. That's what we should be. We should have good reputations amongst the people in this world. It goes on and says this. It says they need to be full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. And so what that means is simply this, that these men are to be yielded to God's control. They're to be yielded to God's control in every area, every facet of their life. Wisdom here refers to the biblical and theological knowledge and the practical wisdom to apply those truths in everyday life and everyday situations. That needs to be there. What it's saying is this, is the church needs qualified spiritual men to serve in leadership roles. And so I'm just going to bang that drum again this morning. The church, hear me, the church today needs qualified spiritual men to serve in leadership roles. And hear me, guys, we need to step it up. We need to be leading in our home and we need to be leading in the church. We need to be leading in our world. We are called to be leaders, whether you like it or not. God, by making us a man, has called us to be a leader. Whether we want to, whether we don't want to, whether we've signed up or we haven't signed up, we are called to lead. That's what God has put on our life. And I think the thing that, that bothers me or stirs me the most is maybe the problem would be of the thing that's outlined here a little bit. What's your reputation like, man? Man? Would it be described as this, full of the Spirit? Would you have wisdom? Would, would, would that be considered you? Would you meet the qualifications over in Timothy? And I'm going to go ahead and answer that. The answer is no. We wouldn't meet those qualifications. Nobody in this room meets those qualifications. But thank God we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how anybody in this room meets those qualifications because of what Christ has done in us and in him working in us, pulls us along, matures us, brings us along. But I mean, we, we need to step it up. I know this isn't a Father's Day message, so happy Father's Day, right? A little early this year. So you'll get something even better in a few months. But man, we're, we're called to lead. And, and hear me, we need to step up and we need to lead in the church. We need to lead by example. 
We need to lead by the things that we say, by the things that we do. And we need to lead. I'm just trying to think of what to even say here. I just, to bang on this drum a little bit more. I mean, we should be the first ones to sign up. We should be the first ones to give our life away in service. We should be the first ones to do whatever the need may arise to be done. That, that's what it, we, we need to lead in that capacity in that way here and at home. So now back to the call on the apostles here in verse 4. It says, but, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so what the apostles do here is they pledge to devote themselves to praying and to the word. And so I believe that these two are inseparable. They, they're, they're, they're two of one thing. Prayer must permeate one's time in the word. That's what needs to happen. That's what needs to take place. They need to be praying and seeking God's wisdom, God's guidance. What does is, what is his word say? God, help us understand, help us to lead, help us to, to do whatever it is that you would call us to do and to share with the people. I mean, think about how important time in prayer and the word is for the church at this time. Think about that for a moment. The church is just starting their all kinds of different thoughts and beliefs of the people I mean, you've got Gentiles, you've got Jews, you've got all these different belief systems that are coming out, that are joining up and being a part of. I mean, you've got the Hellenists, you've got the Hebrew speaking. I mean, you've got all of these different people that are being put together as the church. And it's not like today, the word isn't readily available for everyone to have a copy of. So the, the apostles need to be about the word. Need to be about the word. So, so let's think about it for a moment. Let, let's just take a little poll for just a second, real fast, because the chances are probably not everybody's been, uh, grew up in a Baptist church. And then even when we say Baptist, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but, but, but let's, just, let's just take just, just a, a brief poll. Any, any Presbyterian, any Presbyterian background? Okay, none, all right. What about Lutheran? Any Lutheran? Ever been to a Lutheran church? Been there, okay. What about Methodist? Come on, my Methodist, there we go. That, that was me. I grew up in a little Methodist church in West Virginia. And then we went to the Baptist church for a while. So we were really confused. Uh, what, what about this? What about the Catholic church? Anybody been a part? This isn't shaming. That's not what we're doing. Yeah. All right. All right okay. What about, what about the Baptist church? Okay. Don't even get me started on the Baptist church because there are slews of Baptist church. Was it free will? Was it independent? Was it missionary Baptist? I mean, what, what kind of Baptist church even in the sect of... Is it Southern Baptist? It, I mean, what kind of American Baptist? What kind of Baptist? So with that comes all of these different systems, all of these different thoughts, all of these different beliefs that are out there, even within those um, doctrines of, of, of faith and belief. I mean, think about that for a second. All of the indoctrination that we've had. Not to mention the church that maybe you've grown up in or been a part of or have visited with a friend or been around. But, but think about it going on all day long. Anybody listen to Christian radio? Like, you know everything that they say on Christian radio isn't necessarily right, right? Isn't necessarily theologically sound or doctrinally sound. Not everything, just because it's Christian radio doesn't make it uh, biblically accurate. So there's some more indoctrination. What about the news? Anybody read the news? Anybody see the news? Anybody uh, surf the web? I mean, think of all the junk. Like this week alone, I was, I was just surfing, and I'm a Yahoo guy. My wife makes fun of me because there's just news feed after news feed, and I kind of try to get caught up that way. And so as I'm scrolling down, I see Will Smith, the actor Will Smith. And there's this interview, and so I'm intrigued a little bit. Um, and so, I, like, I'm a men in black guy. Like, I, I like that. I've watched those. And so I'll, I'll click on it, and I'll start to listen to this interview. And this interview happens to be because of him and his wife. 
And so apparently, a while back, they've had some struggles or some issues. They've been married for a while. And uh, this big celebrity couple in Hollywood, all the pressures and all the things that come at them. And so uh, they begin to talk about how they work through that. And he began to talk about how he took like a two-year break from making movies and pursuing his career just to find himself, just to figure things out. Okay, I mean, uh, so I'm, I'm hooked, I'm listening, and, and I'm trying to listen to this through the, the lens of the gospel. Okay, what does this mean? What is he saying? What, is this really accurate? So then he begins to share that he took those two years off to find himself. I'm like, oh, okay, let, let's, let's see what he's got to say. And so he starts reading books. He says he read over 50-something books on relationships, on marriage, on just finding himself and figuring things out. And so then he begins to talk about it even more. And he says, what we've arrived at, me and Jada Pinkett, is, is, is this, is that we're no longer calling it marriage. We're not even going to refer to it as marriage. Don't even call us married anymore. That's, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're saying any longer. We're not even going to uh, refer to ourselves as being married. What we're saying is this. It's more of a hard-laid foundation that we've made and laid. That's what we're going to, we're not even going to refer to as being married anymore. But it's more of how hard we've worked and how we've, we're not even going to put a label on it. We've pressed so hard and we've gotten so far in it. And I'm like, yeah. Until the Holy Spirit's like, no. And, and, and I, I really, I felt that in that moment. Because, I mean, because everything in us wants to plot. You go, dude. You did it. That's awesome. You've put the work out there. You've done what you, you've read books. You've, you've done this. You've done that. <coughs> Excuse me. You've put all this work into, into marriage or not marriage, whatever you want to call it, and relationship and trying to figure things out. And you have, you have overcome the odds in, in Hollywood. I mean, like these are the famous of the famous. And they have overcome the odds. And man, that sounded so good until we approach this. Because do you know what, do you know what marriage is? Do you understand the picture that's being painted before us? I, I had the opportunity to do a wedding last night. And in this wedding, whenever I started my premarital counseling and started talking to them, I said, man, as great and glorious and beautiful as this is going to be about the two of you, it's not about either one of you. Honest to goodness, what that day is going to be is you stand there before these witnesses and before God Almighty, and you, you enter into covenant with one another and with him and this relationship this marriage is going to be all about him. And so as I've read and as I've studied and as I've looked at marriage leading up to that day and even some this past week, what I know about marriage is this, is it exists to magnify the truth and worth and beauty and greatness of God. That's what marriage is. I mean, what do we refer to as the church? We're the bride of Christ. I mean, so this very whole thing that we've entered into is a marriage relationship with God. Now, it's different than any other marriage, but it's, it's a picture and model of what marriage physically here with another person should be like. So this very thing that we've entered into is this marriage relationship with our God, and it exists to move the appearance of God in people's minds toward God, to show his greatness and goodness. I mean, when God puts two people together, two sinful rebellious, maybe saved people together. And there is still so much learning and maturing and growing, is there not? I mean, what is one of the greatest things that need to be displayed in marriage? Grace, mercy, love. I mean, is that not all the attributes of who God is? Accountability? I mean, you just list after list after list of what the marriage relationship looks like. But we're gonna do away with it because we're above marriage. 
And man, it sounds like they have worked and it sounds like they have done some pretty good stuff to get to the place that they are, but I'm gonna say it's hogwash. I'm gonna say it's ridiculous is what it is. I'm gonna call it what it is. I'm married and I'm happy to be married. And I'm married in two ways, one to my wife and one to my savior. I'm, I'm a married man and I love it. Well, because it's, we have the opportunity to, to portray and to show this world what this marriage relationship can be like. Even though this one struggles from time to time, even though there's difficulties this way with me and my wife and we butt heads and I'm selfish, I'm super selfish and, and I struggle and she struggles, still grace and mercy is anew every single day in that relationship because God is working and God is doing and we wanna do everything we can not to make it for making it or making it sake, we want to do everything we can because we want to show this world what a relationship with God looks like. And that is just a picture of what it's like. So that's what we want to do. We're devoted to Jesus first. And as a result of that, now we can be what he's called us to be. Will, that's better news, man. That is something that's far better than you just doing some hard work because you can't work nowhere near like you need to work to make that thing last and happen. Sorry. So verse five, it says this, it says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. So what they've come up with, what they said that they were gonna do, find those seven men of good repute, of, of all the things that was outlisted there, it pleased the whole gathering. And so the apostles and the disciples, they agree to this change in how things need to be handled, how the situations need to be done. So they make changes to better care for the church body. They do the work of, of making some changes. And so that's what happens whenever the church begins to grow. That's what happens. That's what needs to take place as the church begins to grow. They'd never been at this place before. They'd never been this big before. They'd never been down this road. They, they didn't know how to make things happen, what to do. They, they'd never been at this place. And hear me, the same thing for us. We're a different church today 12 years later than when we were planted. We're a different church. Why? Because there's more of us. We're in a different location even. There's all kinds of, we've got tons of kids. There's all kinds of things that are happening going on here. So we're different than what we were 12 years ago. I've been here five years and we're a different church today five years ago than whenever I first got here even. The work that God has done in this place, the things that he's doing here in this place. So you know, you know what else will happen? We'll be different a year from now. It's just what happens as things grow and as things move and things, I mean, this thing is fluid. It's not stagnant and just stays, but we've got to move. We've got to change. We've got to do some things. Hear me, we try to be proactionary, but sometimes we're unaware and we miss things. And in those moments, what do we do? We show grace. We show understanding. We allow for things to be worked on. That's what we do. Do you know what October was? October was a year for me being the pastor of this church. One year. And the fact that you're still here and I'm still here, this is a great thing if you ask me. Thank you. No, but honestly, it's been one year. And I would like to think that I'm a little further along, all the while knowing and realizing and understanding that I'm not as half as along and good as I think I am. And I'm reminded constantly, constantly of the things that I need to work on. So the, the fact of the matter is, is in a year you haven't ran me off? The fact of the year that, that I haven't blew this thing up? I mean, if you could just, and this is just me sharing, I'm going to let myself bear for a If you could just, if you could just, the fight and the struggle and be a pastor of a church, God bless you, man. Good Lord, he is, but holy cow. And I've watched you for those five years, and I've tried to ask questions, and, I've tried, and I don't have a clue, man. Uh, you laugh because you're like, good, you're at the right place, and I know I am. And I know God's working and God's doing. 
I was just an arrogant little punk. I'm probably still a little arrogant little punk, but I'm trying to get out of the arrogant little punk thing. I don't have a clue. And so I'm praying and I'm seeking and I'm asking God to help and to lead. I mean, all the things that he's done over this last year, over the last five years, over the last 12 years is just an amazing thing. Church, for us to be where we're at, you know, most church plants don't ever make it. They don't make it past a couple years. They're closing their doors. And to be 12 years into this thing and look sitting around you, look at what God's done in this place. Man, so we as the leadership of this church, we want, we're not here to get anyone, but we want to love on, we want to walk with, we want to do everything that we can do to reach as many as we can, all the while taking care of as many as we possibly can. So our desire and our heart in this place is to be a church that brings glory to God at all costs, first and, first and foremost. And we'll do everything we can to be like the church here in Acts. Everything we can to be like the church, to model this like the church modeled here. So we'll be intentional in doing everything we can to try and have all things in common. To, to try to care for one another, to try to meet the needs, to try to show love, to try to show grace, to try to show mercy, to try to offer accountability. We will pray and seek God. We're going to read about organizational stuff. We're going to talk to other churches that have been there. We're going to talk to people uh, that are coming up. We're going to do everything we can all the while making those difficult decisions to follow God in our, in our context here. So, so hear me. I'm just going to be straight up with you. Hear me, as we continue to grow and move toward the vision that God has given us, our structure is going to change. Things are going to change in this place. How we'll do things will look different because of being the church, we've got to adapt. We've got to, we've got to evolve. We've got to move. We've got to do different systems. We've got to do different methods to better meet the needs and reach people. But hear me, because as long as there is breath in my lungs, those, those things may change. The thing that will never change is the message. It will never change. We will base every decision, everything that we do around the word of God, and we will unapologetically follow after it, and we will die on hills we need to die on because we are not going to sway, and we are not going to move from the word of God. Models and structures and things, the way we do it may change, but God's word will always be the utmost in this place. Always be the utmost. That's what we're going to do. So as you look around, you'll see changes happening. You'll see things that are, that are happening. I mean, I don't know if you noticed the mass exodus just a moment ago. That's what we like to call it around here. It's called Kid Life Children's Church, the mass exodus. As they, as they I don't, you gotta be careful because I mean, like they, they bolt, which that always excites me because you don't usually run to something you don't like. So if they're running, I'm running church, man. In here, in that moment when everybody's sitting, all right, not in the halls, let's be careful. So run to stuff you like. So I think that's awesome, the fact that we've got over 60 kids meeting right now in this, in this church hearing the word of God, hearing the word of God proclaimed on their level, adult leaders loving on them the way that they need to be loved on and cared for. Right now in this place, the growth that has happened over the last few years with that is just phenomenal. So we've got children's ministry that's going on like crazy, over 60 birth through fifth graders hearing the word of God. And I bragged on you a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to do it again, Dale and Tim. As you guys, I called you, and we had that conversation about, man, we need some rooms. And you're like, do whatever you got to do. And so we stuck you in the back, and we stuck, I know you stuck you just one room over. I mean, the fact that the hearts of the leaders in that, in those, those groups there, say, do whatever you got to do to accommodate for the kids, man. I mean, that church, stuff like that's going to happen. And so we've got small groups now meeting in homes. We've got groups on campus. I mean, but think about that for a moment. So, so one of the reasons why we did that is because I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't have many more rooms. And this guy's running out of real estate to build on right here, you know? I mean, we could probably take this room and make about 20 rooms if we need to. I mean, don't, don't get any ideas. Um, 
But you know what I'm saying? Like, like as things grow, and she, but how many, how many, who's got a home? I'm not, volu- okay, look at all these small, small group homes that we've got now. Yeah, praise God, right? Growth is happening. No, but you see what I'm saying? A room will run out here, but people in here, we've got homes. We can open up our homes for a couple hours. Why? Because we need to change. We need to adapt. We need to do whatever we got to do to make disciples because we're not going to shy from that. We believe everything in us is to make disciples who make a difference. So we're going to do that, and systems are going to reflect that. So that's what we're going to do. So there's going to be changes. There's going to be things that happen, and we see it happening here in the early church. They grow, and so they move, and they go with the growth, and the, and the growth happens, and this is brought to their attention because there's a great need amongst the people. So look as the story continues as we start to wind down. So they choose Stephen, a man full of faith, of the Holy Spirit. They choose Philip, uh, Procreus, and they choose uh, Nicanor, and, and Timon, and uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of, of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And what this does is this laying on hands here while they, uh, they prayed is just a, a signified affirmation. It just showed them affirming and identifying them with someone in that ministry which they've handed over. Verse 7, it says this, and look at this, and the word of God continued to increase. That's what we want to be about. We want the word of God to increase here at all costs. See, the link here is forged between verse 2. See, it's between the word of God in verse 2 and the word of God here in verse 7. And in verse 2, he quotes the apostles as saying that leaving the word of God would be a grave mistake. It would be a mistake for them to get away from the word of God. And look at what happens here in verse 7 as he reports the effects of not leaving the word of God. Look at what happens as that verse continues. It says, the number of disciples multituded, uh, uh, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem because they didn't neglect the calling that God had on their life to be serious about the word and prayer. The word of God continues to go, and as it continues to go, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And so Luke's point here is that the word of God kept spreading and bearing fruit because the apostles did not make the mistake, hear me, they did not make the mistake of leaving their focus on the word to fix a pressing problem. They stayed devoted to what God had called them to be devoted to. And so listen, the major threat here to the church in this instance, as Luke teaches us, is whatever threatens the ministry of the word. He says, that's the greatest threat right now that you're facing is whatever would try to pull you away from the word, whatever come after the word. And in this case, it would have been something very, very good, wouldn't it? It wasn't something bad. It wasn't something uh, in, in that regard threatening. No, 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 it was something good. It would have been good for the apostles to roll up their sleeves and express their humility by serving tables and getting involved in the nitty-gritty of caring for the widow's, widow's physical needs. That would have been a good thing for them to do. It would have been a good thing for them to be a part of, not a bad thing. But it would have been a mistake for the church and for the kingdom is what it would have been. It would have been a mistake for the church and the kingdom. Why? Because there's qualified men there that can meet that need. As we see, there's qualified men there that can step up and play their part and have that, male, that leadership there where, where they can live out and do the needs of the church. And look at what else happens here as a result of this. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. See, even priests who were hostile to this over in Acts 4.1 are responding to the word of God and obeying in faith. That's what they're doing. So as a result of being serious about the word, as a result of praying and being focused on what God had called them to do and leading the church in that regard, and people, people's lives are being changed by the gospel. Things are starting to happen. So the church had been tested. Satan tries, but yet again fails miserably. And so the church passes the test. 
for caring for those widows and guarding the word. And God honored this triumph with new power and new fruitfulness. That's what he did. So as we close, I just believe this is discipleship at its best. We raise up, we test, we evaluate, we equip, and then we release. And that's what we see down here in the scripture. This is us. It's not about one person in this place. It's not about one personality. It's not about one. That's not what it's about. It's about us raising up to release. Raising up to release. I said this a few, few um, about, a bit about a year ago as we kind of looked at the vision of who we are and where we're headed. And at that time, we had a little over 230 covenant members. And so we have two full-time guys right now, two full-time guys on staff. And so if we divide our congregation of covenant members in half, that's going to be 115 people to do this with. 115 people for, for you and me. I don't know how good you think you are, but I'm not that good. I know I'm not. That's how, okay, so we'll break it down a little bit further. So we have two part-time staff. And then we have three part-time, part-time staff. So let's give, let's give them a 100 to divide amongst themselves. So that brings it down for us about 65 people per full-time staff. And it gives the part-time people about 20 people to take care of and walk after. And so I just always go back to who the greatest man to ever live this out was, to ever walk this out. And the greatest man that I've ever known of, I've ever read about, I've ever met is Jesus. And if you'll think for a moment, how did he do it? How did he, he, he had the 12, right? And then even within that, he had the three that he invested in. Why? Because look at where the church is at today. I mean, he knew what he was doing. It wasn't just happenstance or it was like, oh, okay, God, we need to come up with something. Give me a little idea. Got it. No, 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 no. He knew exactly what he was doing. So he walked with those men. He invested in those men. Why? Because one day he was going to release them to do ministry, to plant the church, to see the church out, to see the church grow, to see things like this happen and take off. So if Jesus did it that way, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? So what I'm telling you, and this may be, this is a very big deal. What I'm telling you is that your staff can't effectively take care of everyone here. We can't effectively do it. We can try, and we can struggle, and we can do some things, but with 230 covenant members, and we're probably a little bit higher than that now, there's just no way that we as the body of Christ modeling this and living this out like the church did here in Acts. I mean, we just can't do it. Could you imagine? But if we get organized, if we get serious about this discipleship making stuff, if we just look at how the church started to do it here, how they started to break down, how they started to organize, how they started to get things out there. I mean, and they didn't even have, they didn't have phones at the time. They didn't have email. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have, you couldn't just shoot a Facebook message out to people. You couldn't just do an all call. They had none of that stuff. Can you imagine then even taking care of 20,000 people at this time over that? But I just believe that if we can get organized in a way, if we can get focused in a way, if we can start to raise people up in a way to oversee this ministry, to oversee this area, to to release them, to, to do what God's put on their heart, what he's gifted them at. Hear me, I'm not the most giftedest person in this room. Gifted to see, I can't even speak. I'm not the most, I don't have the greatest gifts in this room. I just don't believe I do. But look at what God's done. Look at the team that he's brought around me. Look at the team that he has uh, uh, assembled here at New Life. Think about that for a moment. So I just want to brag for a second. I mean, you got Tyler as a youth guy, loving on the kids, walking with the kids, loving on families, doing things to try to disciple and raise up because we believe, hear me, this isn't just for the adults in this room, guys. That's not how this thing works. You in your campus, I mean, you are around tons of people. You hear me? 
the people that you've got an opportunity to influence this week. It puts us to shame. I know what the schools look like around here, the thousands of kids there. I mean, I know the classrooms that you'll set in that are just overflowing with people. I mean, you've got great opportunity this week to share the gospel, to, to love on other kids, to invite, to invest. It's not just us older folk that get to do this. No, this is God's plan for all of us. So Tyler gets to raise up leaders. Tyler gets to invest in leaders here. He gets to invest in, in the generation today to do that in the schools now. Not, not wait till you become a, a grown member of society and culture and the church before you get to, No, that's craziness is what that is. Because the reality is this. If I come in your school tomorrow and I start to try to do this with them, they're just going to laugh at me and think, who's this old fool? Trying to be hip and cool with some spiky hair. Like he... It's not going to work. But you, because you've invested and you've made relationship. So we've got Tyler doing that. We've got... We've got Two part-time, part-time guys. Eric's got a whole crew that he gets to lead and he gets to be around, that he gets to share with, that he's pulling more people in and, and giving them opportunity to serve and be a part of. He gets to do that too. Why? Because then after he gets done with you guys, you guys go out and you have influence in your place, in your spheres of life. So he gets to do that with you. And then Bill, Bill the same way. The same way. I mean, I believe I'm where I'm at today, but I mean, God put him in my life. God has allowed him to invest in me. And now you know what I know about this guy? Every Monday, isn't it? You've got a whole group of small group folk. Not to mention the influence that you still have in this place with me, with Tyler, with the, with the staff here, with, with the people that sit in these pews. And they, we don't have pews, I'm sorry, with these chairs. You have to do the same thing. Why? Because then you get released. Everybody's going somewhere after this. So we've got great opportunity to share the gospel to do and not to mention uh, the two part-time children's folks that we have. Uh, I mean, you, you couldn't pay me to do that for love or money, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just no way. The way that they get to invest in these leaders. I mean, they're not doing the CPR and the training thing just, just for the heck of it because we've been, hey, you need to do something. No, they're doing it because they love kids enough. We want to create a safe environment. We want to invest in people. We want to teach and we want to train. And so they've got together and said, Scott, we've got to do something. We want to make this place safe. We want to equip our people. How can we better handle and love on our kids and our families? So they're doing things like that. We've got those two. Because then after you go, you love on kids. Here, you get to go love on kids everywhere. Share the gospel with. Invest in every single body, every person. And then we've got a Franklin. Yeah, you know where I'm going. Uh-huh. Everybody should have a Franklin. You may have Apple Care, you may have the Geek Squad, but I've got me a Franklin. And everybody needs a Franklin. Like I was just, we were at a wedding yesterday and he did the music and he did some of that stuff. We're just over in the corner talking. He's like, he's like all geeked up. Like he gets geeked up about stuff like this. And he's like, Scott, come here, look, 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 look. And he pulls out his phone. And usually I'm, whenever he pulls, I pull out a phone for him, it's to fix it. But he pulls out a phone and I'm thinking, I can't help this guy. I'm like, you're, you're like the best of the best that I know. And so he pulls out, he's like, check this out. And so what he did was this, is that he's come up with a program. He's found a program. He's found a way to integrate some of the stuff that we're doing here. To where now, if you have a phone and you can get on iTunes, you can, pull, you can pull our sermons, you can pull our stuff from here off, and it can be sent to your phone every week on iTunes. That's right. I mean, that, that's what my Frank, our Franklin did. He's not just mine. He's everybody's, right? So that's, that's what our Franklin did. He's integrating systems. He's doing things so we can get the word out there more, so we can invite people more and say, hey, check this out. Look at this. I mean, he works on our website. All, all of this stuff that you see here, 
when it comes to that kind of stuff, I mean, if you were to turn around, look, I mean, these are split screens. How do you do split screens on one TV like that? That's a Franklin. So, man, we've, I don't have a clue. Like, I come in now and I turn it on on Sunday morning. I'm like, I'm done. That's all I've got for you. And really, it's so easy because there's just one button you push and it turns everything on. So I'm like, huh, they've, dumb, they've dummy-proofed it for me. But God's assembling a team and God is doing work here. And within that, what we want to do is we, we want to break this thing down even more. We've got a secretary. We're looking at beefing that up a little bit and having her serve a little bit more and do some stuff around here. Why? Because as we grow, there's going to be more needs. There's going to be more calls. There's going to be more stuff that happens, things that we need to get out. So we got her as part of the team. And then if we break it down even more, we've got five trustees. Well, we're going to start meeting. We're going to start praying for our people. We're going to start trying to figure out some things and do some things. Not to mention, we've got all these small group leaders now that, that are leading on campus and off campus. Man, We're just breaking this thing down. Why? So we can take care of people. So we can do what the early church did. So we can be about what the early church was about. So though it may look crazy, though it may make us uncomfortable, though it may frustrate us at times, man, just buckle in and hang tight. Because we're trying to figure out, we're trying to work through, we're trying to do something here whereby we can be like the church here in Acts. And we can reach this world for the glory and honor of our God. So my question for you as the band comes and we end this morning, how do you fit? How do you fit? What's your role here? What's your gift? What do you bring to the table? See, I believe within me that we have a valuable role to play, that you have a valuable role to play. Every single person in this room, I don't care how old, I don't care how young, you've got a valuable role to play. If we would just see ourselves not as spectators, but as participants. That's what it's meant to be, the church. We're participants, not spectators. We don't just come and see and watch. No, we go and we do. That's what we do. So whether it's shaking hands at the door and being that smiling face as someone comes in, or it's ushering and helping someone find a seat, or if it's passing the plate, or if it's um, uh, rocking babies, or loving little ones, or helping out in the youth group, or leading a small group, or just being in a small group right now to be discipled, whatever the case is, I believe that God's got something for every single person that walks through these doors. And hear me, whether you land with us, or you come here and you're like, that guy's too crazy, or this just isn't working, I'm going to find somewhere else, wherever you land, the message is still the same. Wherever you land... Yeah, we want you here. We'd love to have you here. But if not, man, we understand God calls people to certain places. We're not in competition with another church. Did you not hear me? 70% of our community don't know Jesus. That's who we're going after, not other churches. No, we'll help you find a place. We'll put you somewhere. We'll do whatever we got to do to get you somewhere. Just get somewhere and be and give your life away for goodness sakes. Quit wasting your life. Why? Because this is the church. This is what it's to be like. And us out there loving, sharing, and doing something for goodness sake. Get off your blessed assurance and do something with it if it's so great. Make disciples, share, love. Imagine what God could do with us here at 350 if we would just do that. If we just do what God's called us to do, what we've seen in the early church. Imagine, so our vision is to make disciples who make a difference. Our vision and our heart is to be a church that plants churches. So that's what we're going to focus in on. That's what we're going to do according to the Word of God. And we're going to structure and we're going to organize the best we can to do that and be about that. So my question is, how do you fit? How do you fit in this place? So maybe for you, it's coming here in a couple weeks and checking out the covenant class. 
Maybe for you, it's entering into a ministry this morning. Maybe for you, it's being a part of a small group. Maybe for you, I don't know what it looks like for you. But there are too many people in this room that can help point you somewhere for you to walk out this door and do nothing. The doing nothing's over with, church. The doing nothing is over with. We're about something. So we're going to invest and we're going to do. God, help us in this place this morning. God, help me. God, you know I need it. God, help me to organize. Help me to structure. Help me to pray. Help me to seek. God, help me to have wisdom. Help me to have clarity. God, help us be about what you've called us to be about. God, help us to get the system that best fits us. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we need you. Move in this place this morning. God, save the lost. God, stir the hearts of your saints to action in obedience. And we pray. Amen. If you'd stand, Eric and these guys are going to lead us this morning in a time of response. If you need to come pray, if you just want to be loved on, if you need to confess sin, if you need to, whatever you need to do, man, this altar is open. You be obedient to God's leading.